I want to share some thoughts with you. So if you turn in your Bibles, please, uh, to the book of um, Luke chapter 4. I'm not going to preach the same message that I preached there, but I just want to start with that same verse. Luke chapter 4. And if, if the Lord is emphasizing again for me to talk about this subject, there must be a reason for it. Uh, and obviously it means that some of us are not doing what we should do in this area. Because I, I just, I talk about this, I have talked about this a number of times in the year already. And so when he prompted me today, I want you to do this again. I said, Lord, I've already done this. They already know this. But in my heart, I heard him say they know it, but they're not doing it. Now, that doesn't mean not everybody. Some of you maybe are doing it. But it's, it's not enough just to know something. <laughs> there has to come a place of action, not just receiving a message preached. So I, I, th I feel like he wants to highlight this again and talk about this again. So I'm asking you not to tune out and not to just go, I've heard this before. I know, what, I know what you're talking about. I want you to listen from your heart and I want you to open your heart and I want you to make intentions and intentional decisions that you're going to start to do this in your life. Because he's emphasizing this for a reason. At first I fought it in my mind, Lord, why would you emphasize it again? Because emphasizing it because this church needs to hear this. Yes. I said, Lord, I'll do it on a Sunday so everybody can hear it. He, and I'm not saying he, he won't let me, but he said, no, I want you to do it tonight. This crowd needs to hear it. So whoever is here tonight, God knew you were coming, and I believe that there's an answer for you. Now, I know we're talking a bit about the mind. We said we're focusing a little bit on that. And so part of the area that we're, we're going to emphasize tonight is on the mind. In fact, that's probably the main area that I want to bring emphasis to is from, a, from an area about the mind. But I want to talk to you about seven steps in receiving finances. Now, Brad, Dad Hagen wrote that little book, How God Taught Me About Finances, and in that book, he lists four steps. Do you understand? So I'm not trying to add to him necessarily. What I'm saying is that I, I, I've given, I'm going to give you seven steps because some of, some of the things he assumed you would know in those four steps, but a lot of people don't, they don't divide it, they don't divide it properly, and they don't really do what he maybe assumed that you would be doing. And so to make it more simple, to divide the areas of the rainbow a little bit better, I'm going to give you seven. It's, they're not long steps, but I'm telling you, obviously God is emphasizing finances. And I'm not, I guess it does make sense because of where we're going. He, he needs us to get this over into our hearts. So I'm going to come at it from a little bit of a different angle than I typically do. I normally just list the four steps, but I'd like you to first read if you would. Are you ready with me tonight? First read with Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, and the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord, the, the Holy Ghost, is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. So the word, the gospel, which is the word of God, Jesus is saying, I'm preaching that word under the anointing, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus constantly talked about the fact that he was anointed. Why do you think people wanted to touch him? They wanted to touch him because they heard him say and they saw him do acts of the anointing. They saw the anointing working through his hands. They heard him say, regularly because in Acts 10 37 it says this message was was published throughout all Judea starting starting in Galilee 
That message what? Jesus preached and published the same message everywhere he went. In, in every sermon, he actually said to Dad Hagen when he appeared to Dad Hagen at one point, he said, he showed him Acts 10.37 and he said to him, this verse means that everywhere I went, I preached Luke 4.18. I preached Luke 10.38 everywhere I went. No matter what else he was preaching, he always included this element of letting people know I'm anointed. I'm anointed to help you. I'm anointed to do good. I'm anointed to bind the devil. I'm anointed to heal your broken heart, to set at liberty that the, you that are bruised, which is also emotional. I'm here to heal you if you're sick physically. That's the eyes blinded. You know, that represents physical eating. I'm here to help you financially. I'm here to help you with devils. Because that's set at liberty. Those that the captive speaks of demonic stuff. There's four categories listed. Emotional uh, healing, physical healing, emotional healing, uh, demonic healing, and financial healing. Four categories listed in Luke, in Luke 4.18. But the area I want to just focus on for a minute with you is the first thing he said. Now, not everything listed first is the most important. When he listed out the five offices, he listed apostle first. It's the most important. We know that's the highest office. Not every list, like when you list the nine gifts of the Spirit, that doesn't mean that the first one is the most important, okay? So not every list means that the first thing listed is the most important, but many times it does. I'll let you decide. Maybe, maybe this list doesn't have the first thing listed as the most important. I don't know, but I'm just saying it's interesting that the first thing he said on the first sermon he ever preached, the very first thing he said, other than I'm anointed, the first thing he said is, I'm anointed to help you financially. Yeah. The first thing he said. So it was obviously on his mind first. And the second thing he said was all about healing. I'm anointed to heal your emotions. I'm anointed to heal you physically. I'm anointed to heal you from devils. The first message, the first thing he said, I'm here to help you financially. I'm here to help you with healing. And that would make sense because, beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper financially and be in health healing. So if God wants above everything for you to be healthy and prosperous, it's not, it makes sense to me. The first message Jesus preached and the message he preached everywhere he went was about finances and healing. And people have tried to, and I'm, listen, obviously the gospel to the poor includes those that are spiritually poor. Separated from God. Your spirit man is separated from God. So he preached to them about the kingdom of God. Yes, that is obviously true. But if you study the word poor in the Greek, it has got nothing to do with spiritual poverty. If you study the word, it, 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 the main word used means beggar, the, somebody that is completely destitute and dependent on other people giving to them. Then there's a root word, which is not the primary, it's the secondary word, which is an, a, a, another form of the word poor, and it means somebody that has a job, they're not a beggar, they have a source of income, but it is so tight, they are going literally, it's barely enough to survive, what we would call in modern vernacular paycheck to paycheck. But the word used in the Greek is not even that word. The word used is somebody utterly dependent on donations from others. A beggar, somebody who was completely downtrodden and broke financially. It doesn't mention anything to do with spiritual poverty. But we know spiritual poverty applies because obviously Jesus came to preach the gospel to get people saved. But that's not the word he used in the Greek. The word he used in the Greek was for financial distress. 
And not just even you just have a tight paycheck to paycheck. People that are down and out with nothing. So he started the very bottom, Greg, and he said the worst possible word he could use, the most intensive ver Greek verb he could use, meaning poverty. That obviously now covers every other lesser kind of poverty. If he started with a lesser word, it might not cover the beggars, but he started with the beggars, which covers everybody else. So if that also covers the subroot word, which is if you're just paycheck to paycheck and you're really tight, you're covered. And if you've got a little bit extra and you're not paycheck to paycheck and you can save a little bit, you're also covered. And if you've got kind of enough but you don't have wealth you're also covered but if you're a beggar on the street with nothing and you're in financial distress the first thing he said in the first sermon he preached and it was a sermon he preached everywhere he went at least he started with this phrase he obviously included other messages others points and other messages but he always emphasized the anointing is on me to help you financially and to help you with healing that's right so we need to pay attention to this what is he really saying the answer I'm, I'm going and take you on a journey, so stay with me. The answer to your financial need, whether you're a beggar, whether you're just tight, whether you got a little bit, whether you got kind of more, but you still don't have everything you need, no matter what category of poor you're in. Financial, it's not talking about spiritual. Go with the original language. Don't just go with some religious theologian. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, don't turn there. It says, Jesus became poor. Though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty we might be rich. Now, I've always heard all my life people preach that Jesus became poor spiritually, and through his poverty I became rich spiritually. That is not what the Greek language says. That's what a religious person came up with. Now, it can apply, and it does apply. Jesus became poor spiritually on the cross, separated, so that I, that was poor, separated, would become rich in relationship. That obviously applies, but it's not what the Greek language is talking about. If you look at that word, poverty, it means, fine, it means he was word rich. It means he had an abundance of money, and in the Greek, it emphasizes especially money. So not just talking about spiritual riches. It's talking about he had especially an abundance of money in his ministry. And he became poor on that cross, gave everything up for us so that we might become rich. And that means fully supplied both financially and spiritually. So religious people like to take that verse and say, oh, that doesn't apply to finance. Only, but they, they haven't looked at the original Greek word and the context in which the Greek word was put in that sentence. So you can't just go with some theologian because they don't always, they have a religious bent and, and, they're, and they're trying to emphasize it a certain way. Like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, we don't, we don't know what that is, they say. Yes, we do. The Bible clearly tells us it's a messenger from Satan. It's a demon. Of course we know what it is. Are you blind? Can't you read? I get so fed up when I hear of these religious Christians saying, we don't know what it is. Yes, we do know what it was. He said it. Well, it was just him. You know, he said, well, praise God, I glory in my weakness. And my grace is sufficient for you. And it's, you know, I just, you're going to, I just want you to put up with this. My grace is going to help you put up with this and just put up with it and put up with it. That's a religious take. That's a failure take on a verse of complete victory. That verse is not in any way, shape, or form telling you to put up with something. Not one way if you studied in the Greek. What God is saying is, 
You're crying to me three times. I'm answering you. My grace, my power, my ability, my supply, my anointing is enough to take care of this messenger from Satan. Now do it. Yes. Stop whining to me. You speak and it will obey you. Speak to it. That's a completely different message than the way that other religious people say, oh, well, you know, my grace is sufficient, so just put up with it, and God will give you strength. And I saw, I saw two footprints in the sand, and when I saw one, I knew that he carried me. And in the Gaza Strip, I saw one set of footprints in the sand. I took a picture of it so I could, I don't have it already for you today, but I took a picture of it because I thought there's the one set of footprints. <laughs> I saw it on the Gaza Strip. I mean, I lived it. Gloria, I lived the one set of footprints. But let me tell you, Jesus did carry me. He carried me on the cross. But now that he rose again and he gave me his name, I'm not supposed to be, oh, his grace is efficient. I'm going to put up with all these problems. Oh, I'm so weak. Carry me. That's a, that's a weakness. That's failure. That poem is all about failure. I'm so tired. I need Jesus to care. No! He carried me on the cross. He put, took it for me and he said, I give you a key. I give you a name. Use it. I don't need him to carry me now. He already carried me. My job is to charge ahead. And if I see one set of footprints that ain't his, it's mine. I'm walking. Maybe I'm carrying you because you're too weak, but I'm walking. You see, that's, see, that's the spirit of Caleb. That's the spirit of faith. The spirit of victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So faith is always an overcoming force. It never backs down. It never is crippled. It never, oh, it's that religious spirit is opposite to the spirit of faith. So the spirit of faith wants to make us think that this thing, preach the gospel to the poor, it's only spiritual. And it's not in the original language. It's about physical poverty. So my point is this. The gospel is the answer to lack. That's what Jesus is trying to say. My word and the anointing is the answer to your money. Notice he didn't say finding a job, although you have to find a job. He didn't say, you know, investments, although there's nothing wrong with investments. He didn't say that any answer other than the gospel and the anointing, which tells me that the word of God under revelation knowledge, because of the anointing, if you can apply it under revelation knowledge, the word will solve financial problems. And the fact that he asked me to say it again means that obviously there's a, there's a reason for it because some of you need to come up higher in this area and I would venture to say, so do I. So I'm receiving it as well. So we see here, the gospel is the answer to finances. That's what he said. First message and every other message, he started with that because he wanted above all things for them to prosper and be in health. And that word prosper in the Greek also means finances. It doesn't mean spiritual prosperity. It means financial prosperity. Yeah. So don't get super kooky and religious and make everything like vapor and like it's all cloudy and you can never grasp it. No, the Bible is very clear. It puts handles on it. You can hold it. Yes. You can understand what it means. It's not a big mystery. Do you understand? Yes. So when the answer, if he's saying the gospel is the answer to lack, then the next question for a good student of the word should be, Okay, well, when lack shows up, what do I do? If you told me the gospel's the answer, and I'm listening to you, Jesus, okay, well, that's kind of a vague statement. The gospel's the answer, but how do I appropriate the gospel to be the answer when it actually shows up to me? 
So if you look at a situation here, quickly at the book of Mark chapter 11, if you look at a situation where lack showed up, you'll see the answer. The word of God under revelation knowledge because of the anointing brings revelation knowledge, which what? Produces what? Faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the rhema word of God. You need rhema every day. Faith does not come because you read the Bible. Faith comes because the Holy Ghost pours the Bible into you. When he utters it and he quickens it and he makes it alive and and it becomes revelation to you. That's where faith comes. So when the anointing is on the scripture, when the Holy Ghost is on the Logos, it transforms into Rhema. When the Holy Ghost speaks the Logos that you read and hear and it becomes a revelation to you, faith comes. So uh, therefore, when the anointing on the word that is preached or taught will produce faith. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The anointing is upon me to preach the gospel. When the anointing is on the word, it produces faith in the heart of the hearer. When you read the word, even if it's not preached, but you read it to yourself and the Holy Ghost quickens what you read, it produces faith in the hearts of the reader. So when Jesus said the word under the anointing is gonna fix all these areas of your life, what he really is saying is, Faith will fix all these areas in your life because the word under the anointing produces faith and faith is the currency of heaven and without faith, it's impossible to please them. And if you've got faith, you can say to a mountain and it will obey you. You can tell the sick of my tree to move and it will obey you. Even the mustard seed faith will accomplish great things. In other words, it's the anointed word produces faith. Faith gets answers from God. Faith is the currency. The anointed word gives you the currency to use. So when he says the anointed word is the answer to poverty and lack, it's the answer to finances. He's saying faith is the answer to finances. You say, yes, sir. Hallelujah. Amen, sir. Now tell me how I do it. I know that, but how, how does it work? Okay, watch what my son did when he faced poverty. Watch how Jesus answered when he faced lack. If we know the gospel or faith is going to answer lack, let's look at what Jesus did when he faced lack and see if it lines up. Are you with me? Um, This is not that hard to understand, but, but anyway. So on the morrow, when they would come from Bethany, verse 12 of Mark 11, seeing a fig tree, and in Jerusalem, right by the old walls, Pastor Israel showed me a fig tree. And I took some pictures of it. And the fig tree is actually, I was surprised. I thought it was kind of a flimsy looking thing. But I'm telling you, it's massive base. And it's got massive, like this one had three different, it wasn't one main trunk. It was three different trunks coming out of that big base. It was a sturdy, hefty tree. It's a big tree. It's not like a little dinky thing that you can run over. It's a massive tree. It really helps you understand when he cursed that thing. What it took for 24 hours later for that thing to dry up from the roots because it's a big monster. That's a big tree. I was surprised. I didn't think it was so big. Shows the power of what Jesus accomplished when he did this. And he goes up there on, look, he came if happily he might find thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves only for the time of figs was not yet. Now that does not mean in the Greek, it does not mean that the season of figs hadn't come the way it sounds. The season of figs was there, but the way it's written in English is confusing. What it's really saying is he happily went to look that he might find something because he's expecting it's a season of figs. But the season of figs for that tree had not come. That tree was not producing where other trees were producing. That tree was stunted in its production 
But it was the season of figs, but not for that one. Do you understand? Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair for Jesus in a non-season to say you should be having figs when he knows it's not the season of figs. No, it was the season of figs, but that tree is not producing. That's why he got angry with it. This is an example of a lack of supply. It may not be money, but it's the same thing. It's categorically the same thing. Jesus needed something. In this case, he needed food. You could need clients. You could need finances. You could need a home, a car, a job. Anything that you need, something tangible that you need is represented in this story. Jesus needed a supply from that tree. He needed something and the tree did not produce, did not give him the supply that he required. There was a failure of supply. There was lack. Do you understand? Now we know he just said the gospel or faith will take care of finances. Any kind of lack. Now he comes up to lack. So is he going to do what he preached? Is faith going to actually take care of this? Because he just told us faith would take care of it. And everywhere he's going, he's preaching faith would take care of it. So now the pressure's on. Now the disciples watch him come up to lack as after he's just been preaching for three years. This is close to the end of his life. Finances, I'm here to, the anointed word, which equals faith, will fix your finances. It will heal you. It will fix your finances. It'll heal you. He, they've heard that hundreds of times. Now he comes up to a place where there's lack. Let's see if Jesus is going to live what he preaches. Because he keeps saying that faith will take care of financial lack. Now he comes up to a situation where there's no lack, where there's supply. No supply, there's lack. So what does he do? Well, he's going to live what he preached. And so what does he do? Uh, And Jesus answered, answered, answered. The fig tree didn't say anything, but the fig tree did. The fig tree wasn't talking physically, but the situation of lack was talking to him. You don't have it. You're not going to get it. You're going to go hungry. You don't have it. I don't have it. Nobody has it. You're not going to get it. Jesus answered. The fig tree spoke to him in his mind, and he answered it, and he said, No man eat fruit of thee hence after forever. And his disciples heard it, so he wasn't answering in his thoughts. He was answering out loud. You don't deal with problems. You don't deal with lack in your thoughts. You don't deal with lack with your calculator trying to figure it out. You don't deal with lack trying to redo your budget 19 times in different ways. You don't deal with lack trying to look through the classifieds. I'm not saying you don't get a job. I'm just saying lack, you start the process of assaulting lack with your answer, with your words. And Jesus answered and he said something. Now, you know, he goes on, he, he casts them out of the, of the temple. That's where he whipped them. Now should we go to the house of prayer? He comes on back now in the morning, verse 20, the next day. So this is now, a whole day is gone. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So when he said it, it didn't look like anything was happening, did it? And when you censor your lack, it won't look like anything's happening either. But 24 hours later, they saw the manifestation. So when you say something, Sandy, to your lack, you don't need to worry about seeing something instantaneously because your words have produced something in the spiritual realm and in the natural realm, but in a way that you can't see it. God's working behind the scenes. That's where we can't stumble over it. Jesus didn't stumble over it because it didn't explode into flames or, or fall over dead. He just walked on his way because he knows, I, I believe what I say will come to pass. I don't doubt my heart. I believe what I say. I'll have what I say. So then now he, they says, uh, Peter calling to remembrance saying, Master, behold the fig tree which you curse is withered away. And Jesus answering said, now he's talking about the fig tree. He's talking about what he did in answer to lack. Because he's been preaching this everywhere. Have faith in God. So what was the answer to lack? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
What's the answer to lack? The anointed gospel. What does the anointed gospel produce? Rhema. What does rhema produce? Faith. What is the answer to lack? Faith. What is the answer to everything? Faith. So he's been telling everybody, faith will fix your finances. Faith will fix a lack of supply. Faith will, faith will fix it when you come up to something and it doesn't produce. So now he's just dealt with something that didn't produce. And they say, wow, it worked. But Lord, you kind of said something to it. We, we trying to figure out how this faith thing works. But we heard you command something and then obeyed you. And he says, that's right. That's called faith. Yeah. Have faith in God. So everything that happened with that fig tree is wrapped up in faith. How he answered lack is about faith. How you need to answer your situation will determine if you have faith or not. For verily I say unto you, now this verse 23 is the verse about commanding things when you want them to obey you. It's not about talking to God, it's about talking to the devil or talking to obstacles. Verse 24 is also faith, but it's the inflow of faith. Verse 23 is the outflow of faith. Verse 24 is when you talk to God and you are receiving something from him. Verse 23 is when you talk to obstacles and you are commanding them. You say, but authority in verse 23 couldn't be the same as faith in verse 24. But oh, it is. Because in Matthew 8 with the centurion, he said, I am a man on authority. He's a man saving soldiers to me. I say, go and he goes, come and he comes. Do this and, do this. and Jesus said, I, you got the greatest faith in all of Israel. And the man wasn't talking about faith. He was talking about authority. But Jesus called it faith. So authority and faith are twins. Yeah. They go together. So we know that faith equals authority. Now we see the outflow of faith is verse 23. Command an obstacle, it will obey you. The inflow of faith is verse 24. Believe that you receive from the Father and you'll have it. Both are faith. Both are two different flows of faith. When you command something, you're as much in faith as when you receive something from God. Are you with me? You're still with me. So we see here, he says now, have faith in God. In other words, I've been preaching boys that faith is the answer to finances or any kind of lack. Now you've just watched me deal with lack you're asking me, what is that? And I'm telling you the same thing I've been preaching. Faith will take care of lack. What you've just seen with the victory is all about faith. Now I want you to do the same thing I just did, and I want you to have the same kind of faith in God. Let me teach you how you do it, boys. If you say unto this mountain or any obstacle, be thou removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe. See, that's where the rhema word comes in because that's where faith comes. Believing is faith, but it comes because you've got the word. But believe in your heart that those things which you, you not God, you say will come to pass. You'll have whatever you say. Amen. That's the outflow of faith. That's the commanding version. Yes. That's how you deal with devils. That's how you deal with obstacles. That's how you deal with joblessness. That's how you deal with no clients. But now he goes into another flow of faith in verse 24, which has got nothing to do with obstacles or devils or that kind of stuff. It's to do with our precious Abba Father. When you pray, whatsoever things you desire, not want, not need, desire. That covers all your needs. Did you hear me? Religious people don't like the word desire. They just want you to be poor and broke and get what you need. Well, you need... <laughs> hmm... I was reading a story of a man in, in Auschwitz concentration camp who survived and they got one piece of bread, a half an inch squared of butter and uh, dandelions kind of, it wasn't dandelion, it was actually mustard plant root soup with moldy bread in the soup. And that's all they got and they had to work 14 hours a day or they'd shoot them in the head. 
and on a little piece of bread and a half square inch cube of butter and that nasty soup was able to sustain them for 14 hours of work a day. So that's called survival. Do you understand? That's barely enough to make it. Okay, so Jesus is saying now, have faith in God. Whatever you say, it'll obey you. Then he switches. Now, I'm not just talking about talking to that tree boys. When you talk to your papa, don't just tell him what you need to survive like the Auschwitz victim. Tell him what you desire. Because it will cover all the other stuff that you need. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray to the Father. Now, this is the flow of faith with God. The other flow of faith is with obstacles and the devil. But believe you receive it. Believe you receive it. But I don't see it. I know. Because Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you don't see it, but you have a guaranteed evidence that you've got it, but you can't see it, but you know you've got it, but you can't see it, but I know I've got it, but I can't see it. That's faith. It's the substance. The, the, it's, the, it's got substance of what you're hoping for in the future. Hope is the future. It's the evidence, the guarantee, the title deed. I've got it, even though my eyes can't see it. So whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe faith that you receive it now before you see it. Believe you receive it now. It's in the invisible realm. Take it. That's the flow of faith with God. And then God will do his part and you'll have it. It will show up for you. So now Jesus, and I'm trying to get something over to you because God on this trip, he had me dissect this. And, and I want you to really understand something very clearly. God explained the whole thing about finances. This is all about finances. This all came back to the fig tree. Everything you see in 23, 22, 23, 24 is connected to the fig tree. Because he calls to remembrance the fig tree. He says, have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, what's everything you desire? It's all connected to the fig tree. Which means what? It's all connected to lack. And I never put this together until recently, but I heard the Holy Ghost say, son, that's why when I told Brother Hagen, when he wrote that little book, that's why I said to him in those four simple steps, the book was about finances. Because I used the same doctrine that you see in Mark 11, which was also about finances or lack. Do you understand? And I told him, claim what you need. Because the claim what you need is verse 24. Because of the lack of the fig tree. I told him, bind the devil. Because binding the devil is verse 23. Say to this mountain. But it was all to do with answering lack. Answering a situation where there's not enough. So when he didn't have enough, I told him, look at Jesus. Jesus also didn't have enough. But Jesus preached that faith would take care of your poverty. He came up to a situation where he didn't have enough. And what did he do? He used faith. What did he do? He claimed what he needed. Verse 24. He commanded that thing to die. Verse 23. He spoke to the obstacle. Do you understand? That's why God used that analogy with Brother Hagin. That's why he wrote the book. Because it's based on the fig tree experience, which was all about lack. So we have to answer it the same way. Now, the first thing you have to understand, I'm going to go a little quicker now. Are you with me? The first thing you have to understand is that God wants to bless you. That all the money on the earth belongs to God, not the devil. 
and that it's supposed to come into your hands. If you still think he wants you broke, you shot dead in the water before you even leave the harbor. So you have to renew your mind to the fact that God wants you blessed. The money on the earth belongs to him, not the sheik in Saudi Arabia, although he has a ton of it. But God owns the money on this earth. God wants to give it to you. And the devil is the culprit that is holding it back from you. Sometimes it's your own laziness. Sometimes it's your own mouth. Sometimes it's your own lack of faith. But if you've got all those things working right, the devil is still after hindering the supply from coming to you. That's what Jesus taught Dead Hagen. But you first got to understand. So I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to just quote you the references so that you can look at them up later if you want. And I suggest you do. Psalm 50 verse 10, God says, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. Psalm 24, 1, the Lord says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I own it, not the devil. So Haggai 2 verse 8, it says, all the silver and all the gold belongs to me. That would include all the oil, all the diamonds, and all the riches of this planet because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything this earth has belongs to him. Are you with me? Uh, Genesis 13 verse 2 and 14 verse 23. It says, God made Abraham rich in gold and silver and much cattle. God made him rich. Now, Galatians 3, 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles who have received the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Daddy Abraham, he's my grandpa because I've been grafted in because of Jesus and I've been made one new man and there's no longer Jew and there's no longer Gentile. There is one new man in Christ. When I look at Pastor Israel, he's not a Jew and I'm not a Christian. We are one new man in Christ. He's made of one blood every nation, black, yellow, pink, any color in between. He's put us all, one new man in Christ. Okay, so we see that the blessing was on Abraham and now the blessing has come on us. I wish above all things that you prosper and be enough. All these verses, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, through his poverty, we've become rich. All these verses, we gotta, you got to establish all the money belongs to God and God wants to bless you. you got to establish that. Now you got to establish 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world is blinding the eyes and is also holding back the finances. He is the culprit because he's the God of this world. Now, he's been broken by Jesus, but he's still not given up and gone on vacation. He is actively, aggressively working against the saints. The only difference is that unlike the Old Testament, if you speak to him, he will obey you. Whereas in the Old Testament, they didn't have that authority. Thank God we're in the New Testament. So what's number one? All the money belongs to God. What's number two? He wants to bless you. What's number three? It's the devil that's holding it back, not God. You can also hold it back. But I'm saying if you're living right and you're doing all these things, it's the devil that's holding it back. You got to establish that, that fact first. Now, having established that fact, we decide to, to look here and we understand, okay, Lord, if it's the devil holding it back, that's why you taught us through Jesus how he answered not enough. Now we know how we answered not enough. We do it in faith. And what we do is we, verse 24, what's everything you desire, believe you receive them and you'll have them. We claim what we need. Do you understand? Because now we know God wants to bless us. Now we know it's the devil holding it back. Now we know all the money belongs to the Lord. The Lord's trying to get it over to us. So now we're in a good place because we know we have rights. A lot of Christians don't believe that they, do, they deserve it. You have rights. Because you're a believer, you have rights. Now claim what you need. Claim, he said, claim what you need or want both. Because that's what's everything you desire. Now, you claim what you need. That means you receive it by faith, 
Right? Yes, sir. What about Matthew 11, verse 12? Write that down if you're taking notes. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's why Brother Hagin always say, I take it now. Claim what you need and take it by faith. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You don't know where it's coming from and neither do you need to. Faith is all about the invisible realm. It's the evidence of what you don't yet see. You just say, Father, I claim. Remember, Dad Hagen said to us in that little book, he needed $150. He didn't know how he was going to get it. For the two previous weeks combined, he'd got $75. Now he needs $150 in one week. That's impossible. To you, it's nothing, but to him, that was like 15000 today. He needed something that he was coming up to a fig tree and there wasn't enough. How many fig trees have you come up to? And there's not enough. And what you answer, most of us answer the fig tree, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not how Jesus answered it. He told the not enough to die. He cursed the not enough from its roots. He said to the not enough, hold, hold, hold on a second. I claim what I need. Now, devil, you take your hands off it. I curse this lack. You see, because of my authority, that's how you answer lack. If you don't answer it, it's not going to work for you. But God's having me repeat this because he wants you to get it. Take it. Claim what you need. Take it by faith. Number two, tell the devil, take his rotten, filthy, stinking hands off it because he's the reason it's being held back. A lady in that church on Friday night when I was preaching at Pastor Israel's heard me say that, never heard that before, this way before. I came back on Monday to meet with the staff and talk to all of them. And she pulled me aside and she said, I need to tell you something. She's one of his associates. I said, what? She said, we get support. Part of our income is support as missionaries from America. And these people, you know, they haven't changed their mind. But for three months, the money hasn't come in. We can't figure out why. They're telling us they've sent it. The bank won't, won't let it go. The bank won't tell us why they won't let it go. It's something is a glitch in the computer. We don't have the money. And we were desperate. And she said, I'm listening to you preach. I thought, well, I kind of know in general that the devil's probably got something to do with it. But she said, I never heard anybody say that the devil was actually holding it back. Neither did I know that I was to actually speak to him. So she said, me and my husband got home that night. We held hands and we said, devil, you take your stinking, filthy hands off our money. We claim it and we thank you. Angels, go bring it. And we started to praise God. Within 12 hours, the money was in their bank account. And she said, this is a miracle, Pastor Craig. She said, we've been waiting. We've been trying everything that we could possibly do in the natural, beating our head against the wall, dealing with bank managers, getting frustrated, getting angry, getting nervous. And one statement in 10 seconds did it. You know why? Because she did it in faith. The word preached, produced faith. She acted on the word and a miracle happened in 12 hours. And I looked at her and I said, now, sweetheart, every time you come up to not enough, claim what you need. Dad Hagen claimed 150. Tell the devil to take his filthy, rotten, stinking hands. He has no right to hold back my money or whatever it is. It may not be money. It might be a job. It might be, it might be a fig. You know what I'm saying? Something that is supply. He's got no right. So deal with him. You got to deal with him. Now release your angels. They're here to help you. You know this. I don't have to repeat this. Genesis 24, 40. They go before you to prosper you in the way. Hebrews 1, 14. They minister to you in error of salvation. That means a waiter to take your order. Give them your order. Don't tell them to get you coffee. Don't tell them to do your laundry. That's not, that's not how they work. But you can say to them, angels, I say the word of God, or I speak the word, you hearken to the voice of the word. Psalm 103, 20. I say, my God shall supply all my needs 
according to his riches and glory. I say, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Angels, your job is in the having part. I've received it by faith, but you go cause it to come. You're here to minister to me. I give you my order as a waiter. Go and bring it. That's undisrespectful. That's what Hebrews 1 in the Greek, that's what it means. It actually, the Greek word means a wait, somebody to wait upon you. It actually says a waiter. So I guess back in the time they wrote the Bible, they had waiters too. They had restaurants, right? They had waiters. I just found out on this trip that there were no chickens at the time of Jesus in Israel. And I thought Jesus ate scrambled eggs every day. So there were no chickens in Israel at the time of Jesus. I didn't know if you knew that, but anyway, I just want you to know. So eggs are still fine, but there were no chickens in the land of Israel at the time of Jesus. Okay, let's move on. Release your angels. Do I have some before? What do you do? Come on, claim what you need. Bind the devil, release your angels, and then what? Praise. Praise. Grandpa Abraham was strong in faith. He, Romans 4.20, strong in faith, giving glory to God. I don't think you believe it, so I'm going to read that to you because I can see some of you think he's just making up these scriptures at, the, at, at, at just a whim. He, Romans 4 verse 20, and it says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith giving glory to God. You want to be strong in faith? Give God glory. What does give God glory mean? Praise, 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 praise. I claim what I need. Devil, you take your filthy hands off it. You have no right. I, I use my authority. You stop it. Angels, go. Bring it. Cause it to come. I use my authority. Father, I praise you. Now, that's all that Jesus told him. Why? Because Reverend Greg, he was expecting the rest of us to understand three other things two of which are included in praise, but he didn't, he didn't divide the rainbow for him. He just said, praise me. But I'm going to give you a couple other extra points because it's really helped me to divide it a little bit more. So number five, which is very, very important in my opinion, but if you're praising, it will automatically take care of number five, but I'm going to divide it for you. Call, watch your confession. Because you could praise, Lord, I praise you for the money. And then an hour later, I, I really don't know, honey. I, I really don't know what's, I don't know what we're going to do. If it doesn't come, I don't know what. You just stopped it. But if you keep praising, it takes care of your confession. Lord, I praise you, it's done. See, now you're, that's a good confession. So praise includes your confession, but to divide it, watch your words. And I've entitled this, call those things that be not as though they are. Where is that found? You, I was just in Romans 4.20, Romans 4.17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. God calls things that be not as though they were. That's the way God does it. And we're God-like beings. We are Christians, little Christs. We are in the made in the image and the likeness of our Father. The system that he uses is a system he expects us to use. He has given us authority. If he calls things that are not yet, but as though they already were, he expects us to call them. So after you've praised, praise God. I praise you, it's coming, Lord. I praise you, it's coming. Why don't you add calling to that? Now I call to you finances. I command you to come. Lord, I praise you. I call this need met. 
Now, why don't you add it? Go a little bit further. I thank you that I've got the $150. Thank you that I've got it. I call those things that be not. I don't see it yet, but I call it as though I've got it. I got it. I got it now. I praise you. And you see, faith starts taking over. That spirit of faith, that rejoicing of faith starts taking over, but it includes calling. Calling is technically a part of praise, but I'm dividing the rainbow so that you don't forget, call those things that be not. Norval Hayes was here in Toronto back in the 80s, and he preached on calling those things that be not. People don't listen to what you preach. And the man comes up with, in, the, in the wheelchair with crooked legs, and, he sa- and the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, tell that man what you preach tonight will work for him if you'll do it. So he said, sir, God just told me to tell you what I preach tonight will work for you if you do it. And the man looked at him with a blank look like most Christians have. And he said, sir, why don't you do it? And he looked at him with a blank look. And he said, sir, why don't you do it? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I just preached for an hour and a half. What do you mean you don't know what I'm talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. Call those things that be not as though they were. What is not are your legs being straight. Because they're crooked. So call what is not as though it is. Call your crooked legs straight. Call your crooked legs straight. And he's looking at him, just staring at him with a blank look at him. Sir, I just preached this for an hour and a half. You see what I'm saying? Christians can hear a sermon and not get... (sighs) And they leave saying, wasn't that great? And if I were to quiz you in the parking lot, many of you would say, "I, I, I, I really don't know what you taught. He said, sir, call your crooked leg straight. You know, Norville is very intense. Call him straight, sir. Call him straight. Finally, he he, he said, I just don't understand. What is there to understand? Open your mouth and say, I call my crooked leg straight. I call my crooked leg straight. Say it louder. I call my crooked leg. And he got the guy, he got him starting to say it out loud and say it with venom. And he said, I call my crooked leg straight. I call my crooked leg straight. And he went on to pray for other people. He turned back. Keep saying it, sir. And he come back. He goes to the end of the line. He looks back. The Holy Ghost hit that man. See, he was doing it by faith first, but then the Holy Ghost got involved. The Holy Ghost hit his confession. And he saw him crying and weeping, sobbing. I go, my crooked legs. But not because he's crying, because the anointing is on him. I call him straight. I call him. And before Norval and 200 people in that church, he jumped out of the wheelchair. God supernaturally redid his bones. And what was crooked and twisted became. And he started to run up and down the aisles with brand new legs that had been made straight. That's the power of your calling. If you need the 150 or whatever it is, Father, I praise you. Now I call. I've got it. It's mine. I thank you for it. See, it's part of praise, but I'm dividing it for you. What's the next part that has to do with your mind? This is toward the end now. I know it's 850, but it's very important. Number six is make a conscious. You've got to be conscious about it. And this one point trips up almost everybody. This one point out of seven, I'm real good at the others, but this is the one that I struggle with the most. Make a conscious effort not to worry. Make a conscious decision not to fret. This is where where it gets us. But we're talking about the mind. Because I'm telling you, you get in the spirit by by one, two, three, four, five. And now you're calling and you're shouting and you're hollering. And you're excited. But then you go back to your workstation you go back and talk to your five unsafe family members who are talking to you five times a day 
tell me how you really feel. Yeah. No, no, not with all this faith stuff. You know, yeah. you're not with all this faith stuff. Just tell me how you really feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's no matter how you feel. It's no matter what you believe. But you see, they'll talk you out of it. Or you go into the work secular environment and you can feel that atmosphere and you can feel all their doubt and unbelief and you can feel all their negative words and they're talking dirty and they're talking natural minded. But you're a person of the spirit and you're a person of faith and you get there. Listen, I'm trying to help you because I, I go through this myself. I come amongst the staff, the carnal staff, and I was in faith when I came. But when I come, I just, I just, I don't know, it's like Norville coming out of heaven into earth. I'm just kidding, Taylor. My, my point is, is that I'm blessed to have Christians around me most of the time, but you don't, you don't, not all of you have that privilege. And I'm just telling you, you get out of that flow of the spirit very quickly, Joe, very quickly, a thought's going to come. And I can't totally undo your faith because the devil knows that you've taken it, but he'll try through a back door to get you to lose what you've taken. And he'll start saying thoughts will come. Little bits of worry, little bits of concern. Well, I don't know. And you see, a thought will come to worry about what you've just believed God. This is the biggest challenge for me. I'm real good at one to five. Number six, I always struggle over, but I'm changing that. And I'm noticing if I make an intentional decision, it's different than just saying, okay, I hope I remember not to worry. Because you won't remember not to worry. And the feeling of worry will be stronger than your, I hope I won't worry. You have to make a conscious decision when you call it, when you receive it by faith. Lord, and what I've learned to do, if it helps you, take it. If it doesn't, fine. What I learned to do, when I call it, Reverend Greg, when I'm praising him for it, I also begin to say, Father... I just want you to know I refuse to worry about this from now on. I actually make that confession. I don't wait till the worry comes. In my praise, when I'm strong and I'm giving glory to God, I add in, Lord, I just put it on record, I will not worry or give this another thought. And if the thought tries to come, I will cast it down and I will take my care about this situation my concern, and I will cast it over unto you because you care for me. But I tell him in advance, I choose not to worry. Yeah. Yeah. Then the worry still cries to come, but it's something different. Really, when I've said that to God, it's like I've put it on record. Yeah. And then when the worry comes, it's like I've got more power against it or something. It's like I've got a fortitude to stand my ground. It's like the Holy Ghost reminds me, remember what you said? Yeah. Remember what you said? I'm holding you to what you said. But Lord, no, don't say, but Lord, say, I cast the care. Say it right now, Craig, say it. Cause I feel the pressure on my mind. I cast, I cast the care over unto you, Lord. My, my twink tangled necklace, like Pastor Nancy said, Lord, I'm trying to fix it and I can't. I give it over to you. Amen. You undo the necklace. Remember the story yes, she told? Yes. I cast the care. I cast the care. And I keep praising you, but I've learned it helps if during the praise you make the confession that you're not going to worry. Most people don't do that. And then they get out of the spirit because you can't be in the spirit all day long. You can be in faith all day long, but you don't always have the sense of the anointing around you all day long. You get around negative people and all of a sudden that pressure comes. And the worry, and then you put thoughts in your mind about like what's going to happen, you're going to lose your home. And then you play with your mind. You'll picture yourself in the shelter. He'll picture you in the shelter. He'll, he'll put some nasty person beside you in the little cot. No, I'm saying your mind, your imagination is very vivid. And you'll have all these images of, I'm not, oh my God, I can't, oh my God, what if that happens? Oh my, see, you've just taken the thought. Yeah. 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 
So you, you got to intentionally not, remember I talked two weeks ago, spiritually minded? You have a choice to not think certain things. You have to choose, I will not think that. Just because it comes to my mind doesn't mean I have to yield to it. I will not think that thought. I will not meditate. I will not analyze. I will not run it over and over and over in my mind. Running it over and over doesn't change anything. It doesn't magically fix it because you run it over and over in your mind. I will not do that. I will not touch it in my thought life. I will not worry. So when I say cast the care, don't worry, I'm including in that phrase, don't touch it in your thought life. Because by touching it in the mental arena, you automatically start to worry. Do you understand? Can I read you that glorious verse? 1 Peter 5, 7, and there's many. But 1 Peter 5, 7, we're almost done. 1 Peter 5, 7, and the Bible says, I love this verse. Humble yourselves, verse 6, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And the word care in the Greek means distraction. In other words, a thought is going to come to distract you from faith. It's going to make you worry. Its goal is to distract. Now cast the distractions or those fearful thoughts over on the Lord because he deeply cares for you. Can I read you one more verse that I just absolutely love? It's in 2 Chronicles 14, 11. If you, if you can't turn real quick, then just listen because I'll read it to you. 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 11. This is the story of Asa. He was a godly king and he was surrounded by enemies. And watch what he said in verse 11. And Asa Asa, Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. So help us, O Lord, our God. Listen now. For we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou our God, thou our God let not man prevail against you. I love the phrase, Lord, we rest on thee. I love that phrase. I'm facing an impossible situation. But Father, I just want you to know, it matters not to you to save by many or with those that have no power. Remember when Jonathan and his armor bearer went up the, up the hillside and they fought against those 20 Philistines? And he said, to the, he said to his armor bearer, it matters not whether God saves by many or by few. Meaning we could have a lot of power or we could have no power. It doesn't matter because we're not the ones doing it. God has to do the miracle. So what does it matter to him if there's a lot of people or little people? Only to human minds does it matter if there's a lot of people or little people. But to God, if God's doing it, it don't matter if it's little or few. As is saying, God, it don't matter. It don't matter to you whether we're great or whether we're little. For we rest on thee. Oh, I love that. And in your name, faith in that name, we faith in your word, we go against this multitude. And, I love it, don't let them prevail against you, Lord. You see, he took the battle and he put it on God. If they prevail, they don't prevail against us. They will, they'll cut our heads off, but they're not really prevailing against us. If they win, they have beaten you. I love that. He put it over on God. This is your battle. It don't matter to us whether there's lots or little because it's your battle. And if you let them beat us, you let them beat you. Oh my God, Taylor, you see that? If I lose my house, you lose it. If the devil can beat me, he beats you. 
You can't let him because you beat him already. But what was the key? I go in your name and I rest. Faith, that's the name. Faith in your name and I rest on you. What does the Bible say in Hebrews 4? Those that are in faith have labored to enter into rest. Faith and rest are connected in the New Testament. Faith and rest were connected in the Old Testament. If you're really in faith, you'll be in rest. Casting your care includes rest. When you cast the care and you refuse to think about it, Lord, I rest on you. I go at them in your name. And if they win, they've beaten you. Defend yourself, O oh God. Come to my aid. Oh, I mean, he likes that kind of language. You see, when I do that, I'm in faith because I've entered into rest. If you truly are in faith for your need, you don't have to talk to people about it. it the litmus test of faith is if you're calm. Anybody that's panicking, I automatically know they're not in faith. If you're nervous about it and talking about it all the time, you're not in faith. If you haven't cast the care and you're always thinking about it, you're not in faith. So just do a litmus test. If I'm thinking about it all the time, equals no faith. If I'm talking about it all the time, equals no faith. If I'm worrying about it, equals no faith. If I'm nervous about it, equals no faith. Because faith has to enter into rest. You'll get to the place where you keep casting that care. And you'll get to the place where you're in your hammock. And you're like, ah, oh, I just trust you. I sat in the car with Jerry Savelle. He was believing for a big need. And, and he said to me in a statement I'll never forget. He said, Craig, the longer I'm in the ministry and the more I see God do financial miracles for me, the more I can le- lean back on him and I just am in complete rest because I know my faith works. He said, and I have fought to get to this place. What does he mean? He's fought the good fight of faith. Because faith, you have to fight it in order to enter into rest. You have to learn to be skillful and get rid of those thoughts in order to enter into rest. In other words, I was watching a general tailor who was believing for a massive need. And he was so calm and he was so settled. And he said, I've paid a price to get to this place of rest. Meaning... For years, I fought the good fight. I've become skillful in casting the care. Now I get to just lean. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be a general to do this. It doesn't mean it's going to take you decades. You can do it tonight. What I mean is that every person has a price to pay in the, in the fight of faith. It's going to be an effort. There's going to be a fight to cast that thought down. But once you get skillful in that, you will enter into a place of tranquility where you just feel like God is carrying you. Now, don't get mad at me about the poem because now it feels like Jesus is carrying me. (laughs) Do you understand? You get to that place of rest. He's not carrying. You know what I'm saying? But you just feel the Holy Ghost is just, he's got his hands on you. Son, don't you worry about nothing. I'm working on it. Now, the last number seven. Now, number four is praise. Number five is call it. Number six is don't worry about it. But if you're doing praise, both five and six are taken care of. But number seven is something I've added because I feel it needs to be added. Yes. And number seven is very simple. Do what you can do in the natural. Because yeah, yeah. a lot of people sit around doing all this stuff, but God tells them and prompts them, go and apply for the job. Right. Yeah. But no, 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 I'm just going to be a spiritual person. And it doesn't come to pass because he needs your action. Yeah. He needs you to act in faith. Yeah, we know from James, faith without corresponding action is of no use. It's void. Faith without works 
A better way of saying works, the Greek works gives a wrong impression like you're, like you're trying to make it happen. That's why works is not a good English translation. The Greek is actually saying corresponding action. That's the closest to the Greek translation. Your faith without a corresponding action doesn't produce right. So you're doing, number one to six is all about faith. Number seven is corresponding action. Do what you can do in the natural. Do you remember last reference and we're closed? Do you remember when they were turning the, when they, when Jesus was turning the water into wine for your reference, it's John chapter two, verse seven to nine. They were turning the water. Jesus, the mother of Jesus said, just do whatever he says and don't argue. Oh my God. What a revelation. Just do it and stop whining and arguing. He knows he's Jesus. Just answer your lack. It will work. Jesus said, fill the pots. If you know anything about that, they were massive, they were yes. massive pots, very heavy, very laborsome to do that action. Did you notice that Jesus didn't turn the water into wine until they did corresponding action? Once they poured the water, then when the man poured the water out in, as he poured, it became wine. So they did the, the work and Jesus did the miracle. And this is where lazy Christians automatically, number seven, disqualifies you if you're lazy. Because yeah, right. lazy Christians don't want to do the action. You've done all the faith steps, but number seven, put corresponding action. Do what you can do in the natural. Pour the water. Let Jesus do what he does in the supernatural. He'll turn it into wine. Do what you can do in the natural. Apply for the job. Make a resume. Put some advertising out. Be led by the Spirit. But do what you can do. Then let Jesus perform the miracle and cause the people to come, cause the job to get, cause the money to come, cause the healing to manifest. But do what you can do. Remember the guy in Africa? He made the, the microphone out of wood and put a rope and made a, a, a soundboard out of cardboard. He was doing a corresponding action. He preached into a piece of wood for a year. I believe I'm showing you I believe God. I'm doing something to show you I believe. Why am I doing this with the hanger? I'm putting corresponding action to my airline, air aviation faith. Because God said to me, the day after he talked to me on Saturday in Texas, he said to me the next day, prove to me you believe this. What do you want me to do? I don't know. How am I supposed to prove to you? Do I do this? What do I do? Where is the plane going to go? I don't know. That's right. And you won't get it with that attitude. Well, you mean a place to store it? Yes. Where is it going to be stored? I don't know. In the hangar, I guess. Go buy one. Show me that you believe what my word is to you. You take it by faith. Put corresponding action to it, son. Buying the hangar is pouring the water. Now he's going to do the miracle and cause me to pass the test, <laughs> cause the money to come in, cause the people to be generous to sow. He's going to turn the water into wine and actually get that plane into that hangar. But I have to do something first. Yes, sir. Right. Do you understand? Yes, so please don't just do one to six of spiritual and forget number seven because the Holy Ghost, now that you've done one to six, he will prompt you. Go talk to that man. Well, I just, I just going to believe you, Lord. Right? And that's why you're poor. Well, I've done that. I'm just going to call. He's going to call. I call those things that be not. But he's prompted you to go to the meeting. You see, he's trying to get you positioned so that he can now, with your action, cause the water to be made wine. 
So you've got to be led by the Spirit in your actions. Remember, Dad Hagen told us, just speak until he tells you what to do. He just kept confessing he was healed until the Holy Ghost said, well, boy, you shouldn't be lying in bed at 1030 in the morning. Swing your legs out. He didn't do the action until the Lord prompted him. All he did was speak. One to six is all about speaking. Everything from one to six is, is speaking. Act seven is action. Once you've done lots of speaking, the Holy Ghost will prompt you on what action to do. And when my wife was looking for a job for how many months, four months, whatever it was, before we were married and you were living at Mary's house in Brampton and you couldn't find a job for love or money or nothing. And you did everything. You put out hundreds of resumes. I mean, you did your job, Jenny, and you could not find that job. Now the word of the Lord comes to her and tells her, stay home and stop putting out resumes and praise me. Mm -hmm. But you see, that was a step. That was a corresponding action. So corresponding action could actually be not putting out resumes. If you've already done the resumes, because now by doing the resumes continually, you're in fear. So it's an act of faith not to be pounding the pavement. That was a corresponding action, even though it sounds like an oxymoron, but it was a corresponding. And so she just said, Lord, I praise you. And she just relaxed and relaxed. And within a few days, somebody called her and said, remember that? It was actually your cousin that called her and said, we got a job for you. One of hundreds of resumes she put out. See, she did her part, but now it was getting to the place of overdoing it, almost fear-based. So now the word of the Lord comes, number seven, he'll tell you what corresponding action to do. But if you don't do the corresponding action, you're not going to get your breakthrough. So number seven is so important. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus who taught us how to handle coming up to not enough. You preached it everywhere you went, but you also lived it, Lord. You lived it in Mark 11. You lived it with the fig tree. And based on what you taught in Mark 11, Jesus, you instructed Dad Hagen, claim what you want. <laughs> Tell the devil to take his hands off it because he's the one hindering it. Release your angels to go and cause it to come because they're here to serve you. Praise me and thank me that it's working even though you can't see it. Call those things that be not as though they are, and keep your confession right. Intentionally choose not to worry. Don't touch it in your thought life. Cast the care onto the Lord and enter into rest. And number seven, do what you can do in the natural. Put corresponding action to your faith. Father, if we'll do these seven things, no matter what need we have, it will surely be provided. Because this is your word. And I remind you of the words of Asa. Father, it means no difference to you whether I have much power or little power, whether there's lots of us or few of us, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're spiritually mature or not. It doesn't matter to you to save by many or few. Father, I rest on you. I come at this multitude in your name. Defend yourself, Lord, for if they overcome me, they overcome you. Heavenly Father, we rest on you tonight. Every one of you sitting here before we close, whatever need, you've probably done steps one to six already, one to five already, but whatever you are in need of right now, because that's what the Holy Ghost put his highlighter on to me, is in your heart right now, cast that care right now, cast it over onto the Lord. In your own heart, in your own heart, in the privacy of your own heart, whatever that need is that you're believing God for right now, cast the nervousness, cast the worry, cast the fretting, cast the care.
Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer with supplication, let your requests be made known unto God with thanksgiving. So that's the praise part and the peace of God that passes all understanding. Here's the rest. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. Lord, when we've when we've believed and received it and we've thanked you for it, we must have peace. We must enter into rest. We do that by casting the care. So we cast the care on you right now for that need. We refuse to touch it in our thought life. We will not be afraid. We will not try to figure it out. We enter into rest right now and we trust you, Father, that you will come to our aid and you will do the miracle. And we give you praise for it. Every one of you that is believing for something, and I know many of you are, I believe all of you are to some measure, some area of supply or finances you're believing God for, don't let it go. Don't quit. God is working with you. He's working behind the scenes for you. He's doing things that you don't even know he's doing right now. He's working behind the scenes. Don't give up. Don't quit on God. He will never quit on you. Hold fast your confession of faith without wavering. Don't be weary in the season of sowing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Hold your ground in Jesus' name. I don't know who that's for, but I'm telling you, I believe it's for many of you. Some of you are feeling weak and faint in your faith. Hold your ground. Go back and get in the word. Stir yourself up. Do these seven things. They work. God will come to your aid. Hallelujah. If it beats you, and you're doing the right thing, it's like God's been beaten and he can never be beaten, which means you can never be beaten as long as you're doing the right thing. So Father, I praise you. I thank you for needs in this church to be met and desires to be supplied for. Now, Father, corporately, I thank you that all the money we need for the budget comes in. When we do the average, Father, for 52 weeks, I thank you that it will come to 30,000. I'm believing you by faith. Lord, I thank you that all the 200,000 that we need comes in in Jesus' name. And whatever's left over for next year, that comes in as well. And Lord, for the hangar, that comes in. And for the airplane, that comes in. And for international missions, that comes in. Because Lord, I'm not, you're going to work through people, but my eyes are not on the people. My eyes are on you. Because you can speak to hearts in the building and outside the building. Lord, I thank you that all the needs that we need in this, in this ministry is met. All the needs that they need and their businesses are met. All the needs they have in their personal families are met. I thank you that we're a prosperous, overflowing church because Jesus taught us that the gospel is the answer to not enough. Amen. And we praise you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God.